This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 527, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, November the 15th. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 527. It's our Comic Reviews episode for releases from the week of Wednesday, November the 15th. Uh, we're recording this on the 24th, so uh, these books have been out a little bit. We've already started talking about a whole new batch of books, so before we totally let November 15th's releases go by, let's have one last gasp to look back at the, the week that was. Um, so first, uh, I always like to talk about comics I did not get a chance to read, but at least acknowledge that they did come out on the 15th. That includes new issues of Aquaman, Batwoman, Champions, uh, Dark Knight, uh, sorry, Dark Knights, The Man- Batman Who Laughs, Darth Vader, Deadpool vs. Old Man Logan, that's issue number two, Justice League, Nightwing, Super Sons, Star Wars, Doctor Aphra, Spider-Man number, Spider-Man 2 number four, that's always hard to say, Superman, Trinity, Weapon X, Wonder Woman, and X-Men Blue. I keep missing out on the Mojoverse uh, stuff, um, or Mojoverse Worldwide, or whatever it's called, but I'm enjoying the storyline. I just feel like I'm a few weeks behind at this point. Uh, so let's talk about the comics I did get a chance to read. So first up, we have Amazing Spider-Man 791. Um, I thought this was actually really nice. It was, it's interesting how this book feels really revitalized now that the legacy um, uh, kind of branding has started. Uh, this is Follow Parker Bar Part 3, although it doesn't really feel like we're getting a, a story in the kind of the classic sense of like multiple parts. It feels like we're getting stand standalones which form the overall narrative which is what comics are it's not just arcs it's you know it's telling general stories that kind of feed into the next or you know do done in ones that kind of have this general purview and that's what i feel like we're getting with amazing spider-man so this is written by dan slot artwork by Stuart eminent um here the issue kind of starts out with you get to see uh spider-man and mockingbird going on on an adventure together and then we get to see you know peter going to the daily bugle and getting a new job um it's interesting. I feel like Eminem's art here, although it's still good, there's there's a few points where when he does the uh, characters of the Bugle, they kind of remind me more of Daniel Acuna's art. Um, not quite... This not quite what I'm used to from Eminem. Um, his high level of detail, his uh, amazing pencils. I, d- I felt like it wasn't quite as solid here as I, it has been in previous issues. It's still good artwork. I mean, it's Stuart, still Stuart Eminem, stu- still Wade Von Grabadger, but uh, it just didn't quite feel as solid as some previous issues had. Um, that being said, the story is a fun one. Um, you got to have you know Peter Parker. You got to have some equal focus in Spider-Man adventuring with Mockingbird. Uh, you got to see a character that I didn't see I'd see for a while. Who is um, oh god, now I'm forgetting her name. Uh, I believe it's I believe it's Quicksand. Um, who's not technically a you know a Spider-Man vil- uh, villain, which I kind of like as well. Um, I like that we have a little bit more going on with uh, the Osborns and the, and Alan, Liz Allen, I should say. Uh, we get to see Peter Parker finally kind of succeeding at something and maybe starting a, a new job. Um, well, not maybe. He is starting a new job, and it kind of makes sense for the character that he's back at the Daily Bugle, but it's not just the same old, not just uh, him running around taking pictures, and I really appreciate that. Um, one thing I, that I was thinking about when we get, when we look at... Um, at the last page where it says coming soon in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man which I liked um, it had uh, in two weeks the first ever Spider-Man Venom crossover Venom Inc. begins so that's cool um, and then there's a thing where it says could this possibly be the hand of the Green Goblin find out in one month and I found it curious because isn't the Green Goblin um, font that they use here the one that's most recognized by as being the Green Goblin font when they refer to Phil Yurick as the Green Goblin I could be totally off base there but I feel like that's the Green Goblin logo from when the Green Goblin 
Goblin had its own book in the 90s, and I don't think they've ever really used it for any other Green Goblin, but I could be wrong there. Um, overall, I thought there was a solid, fun issue. Uh, kind of nicely sets up the new status quo for Peter in terms of working at the Bugle. Um, you know, it's it's old home week. It's different. It's similar but different. Familiar but different. Um, I like the, the burgeoning relationship between uh, Spider-Man and Mockingbird more than I think I should. Because um, there's a lot of it that kind of bugs me, but in theory, but on the page, it's just kind of fun. Although I feel like she's a black hat stand-in, like she feels like kind of the, the bl- a smarter version of the I guess what '80s black hat. Is she '80s? I feel like I can't even remember what year uh, black hat started. Maybe the '70s, late '70s. Now I'm all over the map. I feel like she first appeared around issue 200 or not long before that. So maybe early '80s. Uh, next up, so I'm going to give that an 8.5 out of 10. Next up is Batman 35. This is uh, The Rules of Engagement Part 3 by Tom King and uh, Joel Jones. Um, I found this enjoyable. Um, this kind of this battle between, uh, or this um, duel between uh, Talia and Black Hat I thought was interesting. And then we also got the next nice juxtaposition of, uh, of uh, Dick Grayson and Damien having kind of a bit of heart, a heart-to-heart as well. What this engagement means for all the characters kind of involved, the idea that uh, Catwoman and, and Batman are together now. Um, officially and are getting and are engaged in the idea that you know things are different and um, I, I, I'm really enjoying the story. I, I think this was a solid eight out of ten, if not maybe maybe I'm being a little stingy, but um, I don't feel like I had a lot of forward progression as a, from a plot perspective, but from a characterization perspective, uh, it definitely had a lot more development. And uh, yeah, and I like the, the relationships that they focused on here, you know, between kind of Batman's ex and his, his current, uh, you know, love. And uh, also um, with Dick and Damien, I thought it was a really nice juxtaposition of those two characters and the fact that they do have a nice history. And it's not always kind of called back upon, but it's nice when they do take the time to kind of uh, focus back on what they used to be. Uh, next, so that's an 8 out of 10. Next up is Ben Riley, The Scarlet Spider. This is issue number 10. Um, I'm still enjoying it. It's different. It's a different visual sense now that uh, Mark Bagley's gone, but I'm still enjoying it. Will Sliney is doing a great job. Peter David is. Re- I feel like he's starting to figure out what he wants this storyline to be, or what these characters are going to be. Now that they've kind of moved on from the initial arc, he's kind of moved Ben Riley into where he wants him to be. The idea that he, maybe he can be redeemed. Um, now he's bringing in the Slingers, which I think is just. I'm, I'm wondering if that was his idea, or if that kind of came from editorial. Like who who had the the grand idea to to kind of bring back the slingers and have a bit of a mystery on who hornet is um i almost don't care whose idea it was because it's awesome just to see most characters together again uh so far there's only one missing the only thing that bugs me about this issue is the last page um where ben riley you know finally stuff is kind of going well and he gets up we don't see his face and everything seems good he goes to the uh, bathroom he looks in the mirror and no we don't see what we see I don't know. I, I, this feels kind of like a cheap thing. I feel like back in the day, you would see what it was and be like, ah! Like, you know, like back in the day when Spider-Man had the extra arms, you got to the last page, suddenly they've got those extra arms. That's your cliffhanger, not, you know, just this weird angle where you don't actually see what it is and you just have to trust that there is a cliffhanger. Like, it's kind of a weird cliffhanger to the cliffhanger. Um, and I feel like I've noticed this more often than not in recent Bendis books. So this felt kind of weird that Peter David would be doing it. It doesn't feel like a Peter David move. Um, so that kind of bugged me. Uh, that I think that kind of made the made the book more human at the end. Like, it was a really solid, enjoyable book and a lot going on, and it was kind of a fun adventure. And then you get to that last page, and I was like, fuck off. Um, I'm, I'm still going to give it an 8 out of 10, though. 
next up, we have uh, Incredible Hulk 710, the Return to Planet Hulk. Uh, this is by Greg Pak and uh, Greg Land. Um, I'm enjoying it. Um, I guess the, my only my problem with this, and this is not necessarily the writer's fault, and I'm going to admit that right up front, is that when we had Planet Hulk and it ended, and then the character went off to do World War Hulk, I know that there was more stories on Sakaar. I haven't really read them. I've never really read the... Um, uh, oh my god, now I forget Hulk's uh, son's name. But anyways, I... Scar... Was it Scar? I don't even remember, but... Um, which t- I've read way too many comics and then I really can't remember details. But, like, so... My memory of Scar- of Sakaar is very different than the Sakaar we see here. And so that kind of bugs me that it just, it just doesn't feel like the same world. It feels like a very different world that it shouldn't be this different with that. Not that that much time has gone by that it should feel like this alien from what it was. Um, I like the idea that, you know, they're kind of going back to something like this. I just, I'm, I'm really kind of curious about the execution. Uh, the art's fine, but again, artistically, it doesn't feel like it's in the same world as the original. And even the writing doesn't feel like it necessarily feels the same. Uh, it has some good characterizations. Um, I like the idea of what, you know, there's kind of a struggle going on between the Hulk and Amadeus and this idea that it's kind of changing the, uh, the relationship and that maybe he's, he gets angry and he's not going to remember. And again, this changing nature of the Hulk is interesting, but, um, I don't know. It didn't quite land. Uh, I'm going to give it a, a six out of ten. I again, I think that there were some issues with it. Just doesn't feel like you know the same world, and it should be. Um, and it feels almost too familiar. And I feel like you can't just play the greatest hits. It has to do something different. And so far, I don't know if it's doing that. I do trust Greg Le- uh, Greg Land, Greg Pock, that I think he's going to be able to kind of stick it and get it there and make it resonant and make it matter. I just so far have not felt like that's really happening but i do have faith in him as a writer that i'm not going to stop reading it. i'm not going to you know think oh he's never going to be able to get this thing together i think he will it's just i don't think it's there for me yet uh next up is mighty thor 701 so after the giant issue that was 700 now we have uh, the wrath of the mangog by jason aaron and james heron who's the guest artist here with guest colors by dave stewart it's interesting because we just started like a, a new story. This is the death of the Mighty Thor, uh, Mighty Thor ostensibly issue number two or part two, and we have a new creative team on the visuals, and it kind of gives a very different sense. That being said, I really liked how Mangog was illustrated here. Um, I like the story that Jason Aaron kind of crafted. I like that it feels like there's a lot of pieces on the board here uh, with Carnilla with Balder. Um, with what's going on with the War Thor here and uh, how that kind of impacts uh, Volstagg. That was quite interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's at times kind of hard to read. I'm wondering what's going to happen with Volstagg now, uh, what that means to for the, for the kind of the War Thor. Uh, I didn't quite expect it to go this route. Um, so I'm excited to kind of see what we get uh, next. Um, it was good. It was solid. I don't think it was an 8. I think it was more of a 7. Um, but I'm excited to kind of see where the storyline continues to go. Um, next up is Not Brand Ech, number 14, um, which is kind of a... Um, what's the word? It was very up and down. Um, it's tons of writers because there's a lot of short stories and quick and longer stories. There's... Uh, stuff by Nick Spencer, Jay Foz- Fosgit, uh, Katie Cook, Jay Fog, uh, Jay Fogsit again, uh, Ryan North, uh, Nick Coker, uh, Christopher Hastings. Uh, there's a ton. Uh, Chip Sadarsky. Uh, who else was involved? There's a lot of different people, and it's kind of a, a grab bag of, of quick um, 
things that are kind of funny and then aren't as funny and some really land and some don't and um i don't know and some of it's kind of meta some of it's not meta um i i one of the things i did like was the um deadpool kind of showing you know how things were made and kind of showing the um how we got to some of these pages from the past year and what they were originally would have looked like. And I thought that was kind of funny and humorous. Uh, as I said, there are some things here that work really, really well and some things just don't. Just don't. Um, overall, I'm going to give it maybe a 5 out of 10. Um, it's trying to c- capture a sense of whimsy and fun from the old Mop Brand deck, but I don't think it always landed. I think some of the jokes were flat, and at the end of the day, I, I don't know if it was really worth the cover price. Uh, was, I feel like... Humor books are really hard, and, and kind of doing satire of their of their own stuff is hard. And I don't think it was quite their A game. And I think it was kind of their B C level, if any, if even that. So I'm going to give it a five. Uh, and last, but definitely not least, actually, sorry, I got two books more. Ooh, I I, th- I almost thought I was done. I was like, oh man, this is we're in the home stretch. We're almost done here. Uh, but I was wrong. Um, so the seventh book that we're going to talk about uh, is Peter Parker: The Spectacular Spider-Man 297. Um, this is, I guess, the part of the legacy numbering for Spectacular Spider-Man and Most Wanted Part 1. Um, this is with Adam Kubert returning with Juan Frigari. It's written by Chip Zdarsky, and uh, it's it's really, really well done. It's fast-paced. It's action-oriented. Um, not so much on the kind of the more slower character beats uh, with some humor that we were getting in the first arc. This is much more Peter Parker. Peter Parker's in a tough spot. He's got to escape, uh, do what he can so that people won't realize which, that he's Spider-Man. And kind of uh, there's only a couple things that I think were really kind of off here. It was in terms of perspective when we have um, Spider-Man kind of escape from the building and he's punching through everything, which is a really cool kinetic shot, which doesn't really make a lot of sense because of how everyone's kind of up in the air as Spider-Man kind of barrels through everyone, but it's a cool visual, even though maybe not one that makes a lot of sense. He then goes to jump over the police cars, and then you have the shot of him jumping in the air, but the perspective is so off because you have him like jumping through all this um, gunfire, and obviously it's supposed to be that he's really kind of vaulted forward, but everything seems so small, he seems so big that the perspective was kind of looked forced and didn't quite work for me. Um, Uh... I thought, yeah, this was really engaging. And the very end, I thought, with the Jameson kind of coming to save Peter, I thought was really cool uh, and something we don't usually get. And I'm glad that they're already maybe trying to do something different with the Jameson, um, which is pretty cool. I'm excited to kind of see where we go with the storyline. Um, but so far, this was, you know, kind of a very exciting starting to the storyline. It really put the foot on the gas. And, uh, yeah, Chip Starsky really nailed the script. And Kubert, obviously, uh, does not take much for him to do amazing on the art. Uh, he's just that good uh so i'm gonna give it an eight and a half out of ten and last but not least we have the punisher 218 uh this is by matthew rosenberg and i'm gonna pronounce the name very incorrectly it's ju villanova but i'm not really sure how to pronounce that first name um this was a very strong issue of the punisher kind of going to take out a bunch of people doing what the punisher does and then kind of being roped into doing something with fury um, which involves you know, rescuing the War Machine armor and figuring out what to do with it on its own. And that the idea that when he's done with it, he has to give it right back to Fury. And what can Frank do operating on a different level with the War Machine armor? It doesn't actually look like it does in the covers, which is really, it kind of looks weird and lumpy. Like it doesn't quite look like the way the armor, I think, should. Um, 
But uh, at the end, like when you see those covers, the covers are gorgeous. I can only hope that the interiors will end up being able to reflect that because the covers are so like if you you look at the covers of um, the, the Punisher skull painted onto the war, onto the you know War Machine armor, and it looks awesome. And then you see in the interior here in this issue really does not do it justice. And I'm hoping that that'll be rectified in the next issue. I don't know if it's Lee Lofrich's uh, colors. I don't know if it's Villanova's uh, art. But hopefully they're able to kind of fix that out because it's just that Clayton Crane cover is so good and the colors are so good on it that I really hope that they can step it up. Uh, it was a solid debut for the legacy numbering and it definitely made me excited to see what would happen next. So that uh, that was November 15th. Uh, speaking of November 22nd, uh, some of the highlighted books coming out uh, this past week include Action Comics uh, 992, All New Wolverine, Amazing Spider-Man, New Year Vows, Batgirl, Batman Beyond, Black Panther, Blue Beetle, Cable, uh, Captain Marvel, Detective Comics, Generation X, uh, Doomsday Clock, Justice League of America, Luke Cage, Nightwing the New Order, Moon uh, Girl and Devil Dinosaur, uh, Spider-Man Deadpool, Silver Sable and the Wild Pack, Suicide Squad, uh, The Flash, Wonder Woman and X-Men Gold. Uh, so a lot of stuff. One of those books that I just mentioned, uh, Cable, is actually by... Uh, Ed Brisson, who will be on our next episode, uh, just kind of talking about writing Cable, writing Iron Fist, writing Bullseye, um, and just kind of talking about how this year kind of became his his big year at suddenly being the front line on all sorts of Marvel projects. Uh, but that'll be on our uh, next episode, episode two, sorry, five twenty eight, which uh, may be up within the next day or two. So you can look forward to that. You can always email me at comicshenanigans at gmail Like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.